0: Grace, delicacy, subtlety are three words rarely mentioned in close proximity to David Lee Roth, the frantic frontman of Van Halen. Roth has not exactly gone out of his way to project a refined image. Indeed, Lloyds of London has taken out a multi-million dollar paternity policy to protect him from the consequences of any potential off-stage debaucheries. But on stage, Roth is in his native element, and to him... Being on stage is great. It's like being in the jungle, and you know, you hear all the noise and the volume, and the people are all screaming, and there's smoke in the air, and people are throwing stuff up on stage. They throw, you know, scarves and brassiers and, you know, the keys to their house, and the keys to their car, and, and everything comes up on stage. It's a big mess. It looks just like my hotel room, man. And you know, and it gets really hot, reaches about 110 degrees Fahrenheit by about the second song. And you're out of wind and you kind of lift, you barely make it to the next song, you know, and that's only the second song. You feel like an animal, man. You feel like, it's real primal, has great um, therapeutic value, you know. (laughs) I have a good time, that's why I got this job.
1: This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Poonie. Now, crank it up.
2: Uh, She's on the corner and she's looking so fine. Put one and one together and it blow my mind. up. Uh, man needs love to live. I'm the living proof. Catch that smile and I have...
3: Next up in the Van Halen album review rotation, it brings us to Fair Warning, the fourth studio album. Sonny, would you believe that I had more requests to come on and be a guest for this album than any other Van Halen record? Can you believe that?
4: It doesn't surprise me because everybody has this as their favorite record. Our guest might hang up on us after he hears some of the things I have to say about this record.
3: <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. And that's and that's your history with the David Lee Roth catalog in general. And that's okay, because that's why I'm here. And that's usually why I bring people in that are on my side so that I can gang up and pumble you at some point in time. And so that's my whole MO, as they call it. Let's talk about the guest because on each episode we've bought on a guest to go through this record because we both know that you and I have two totally different outlooks on the Van Halen records, and as we go through, that becomes more and more apparent so So for tonight's episode, the Fair Warning Record, we phoned up a friend, and that friend is Christopher Williams from except christopher how are you doing tonight buddy i'm doing great steven how are you gentlemen we are doing fantastic i didn't know who he was talking to he said gentlemen i'm like well, huh somebody walked in the room what what
5: Sonny <laughs> comes walk in and... oh <laughs> good See? Uh, there you go. <laughs>
3: <laughs> look i don't want to hear about it later <laughs> <laughs> Pardon the pun. <laughs> so Christopher, we've, uh, we've invited you on so that you can align your, um, love for Van Halen on my side and we can tell Sonny what an idiot he is as we go through the tracks. But fair warning was probably one of the first albums, Van Halen albums that I own. So I have a personal love for it. Where does this album come into your life? It was not the first Van Halen record that
5: came into my life. As far back as I can remember, we had this pair of cassette tapes. For those of you out there, you know, not young enough to remember what cassettes are. It's basically a small reel-to-reel that went into a small machine. And they're just now coming back. Yes, that's not new technology, kids. (laughs) Is the TDK-90 coming back too or no? I've got some TDK 90s, believe it or not. I scored those things, the the high def, because what I like to do when I record is come out of the computer, into the tape deck, onto the machine, and then back in there on a muted track so it has the, quote, warmth of analog.
3: Well, let me tell you something. You guys talk about Napster and and Spotify and all this. When I was a kid in high school, I used to go to the tape warehouse that sold all kinds of blank tapes, not just cassette tapes, all kinds of different reel-to-reel blank tapes. And I used to purchase a box of TDK 90s for, I want to say, 99 cents a piece. And I would purchase a box and I would go home and I would put one album on one side of the tape, one album on the other side of the cassette tape, and I would sell them at school for five bucks.
4: There you go,
5: making money.
3: (laughs) That's called pirating. That is against the law. And that money funded my Friday night record store runs. So I would go and purchase records with the money that I was entrepreneurial enough to secure. (laughs) <laughs> that's the way to do it man yeah and then the album started
4: to get longer so then i had to get the 120s <laughs> yep right so that way you don't have to break up the album right yep
5: exactly and, yeah we had these two cassette tapes and i don't know where they came from if it was you know my mom and dad transferred from the lps from their collection to tape or if they checked them out from the library because back then you could do that and then put them on tape or what but it was these two cassette tapes that were just labeled Van Halen Library and it was essentially a quote "best of of all the Dave records. Mm-hmm. So years and years later, when I started going back and buying the LPS and CDs even before that and going through the catalog from top to bottom, I was like, man, I know that. I know that I know I know all these damn songs how how did you fit? This entire, what is it, six albums, the original, Dave? How did you fit all of this onto two cassette tapes? Those albums are short. It's insane. I mean, we could have, I remember as a kid, 1984 scared the hell out of me for some reason. That and um, I guess maybe Cathedral just scared the hell out of me. Those ominous tones on the synthesizer and stuff. I couldn't listen to them in the dark for some reason. The rest of the records were great, but I going to hear that for some reason. But yeah, that's that's kind of where the Van Halen love affair began for me. I remember putting that on, you know, in a in a backyard. Part of the backyard was this concrete slab, almost the size of like a half a basketball court, I guess. And we'd build ramps and and roller skate back there, jump our bikes off of them, and you know, take this cassette player outside the boombox and just put those in and jam them on repeat. All day, Nice. That's where it began for me. And then years later, my uncle Peter gave me a copy of Van Halen one. And it was like, all right, cool. Yep. I remember this. I'm done. I'm sold, man. Even though it's not on fair warning, I'm the one is, is still probably my favorite
3: Van Halen song. Awesome. All right. So we're going to get into all that as we go through this Van Halen fair warning. But before we get too deep into this episode, you know what we got to do. We got to do it here
1: it's time for the crank it up new music spotlight
3: so tonight's crank it up new music spotlight we're gonna spotlight who else our guest christopher williams and the new album from accept too mean to die check out this song called overnight sensation and we'll talk about it after we're done.
4: So the drums sound great. I'm not just saying that because you're with us, but the production, whoever produced this thing, like the production is so crisp. I Let's would say my favorite song on the album is No One's Master. I just kind of love the groove and the pace of that song. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the production in is really, really good. You, you've been in the band six years now, right?
5: Yeah. Yeah, I guess this is six going at seven. I started the very beginning, I guess that was April of 15 when they made the announcement. So toured pretty much, I'd say the bulk of the Blind Rage album, even though I wasn't on that, that was Stefan Schwartzman, the drummer before me, pretty much did the bulk of that tour. And then, yeah, we did Rise of Chaos. And so, yeah, I guess we're in six years now, six or seven, however you want to look at it, count it. Andy Sneap produced this record. Wow.
3: Andy's been with the band since Blood of the Nations in 2010. And he's done some amazing stuff, right? He did mm-hmm. Judas Priest, Firepower. He's done a couple yep. of the last Saxon records that I like a lot, which Sonny's not a big Saxon fan, but I am. And so he's done some fantastic stuff. I'm not sure I knew that he produced this record. That's awesome. Yep. Yep. He's part of the team.
5: He's a pleasure to work with. He's a lot of fun. He loves his Indian food, so I'm cool with that. <laughs> Indian and Thai food. Let's, let's go to lunch.
3: Did you guys record this <laughs> record in Nashville?
5: Yeah. Yes, we did. It was actually, we started the the tracking process right before the COVID shutdown. Andy was here in town. I think this was like the last week of February last year when we started, you know, because he had, he'd come to town, I think once or twice before when we were still doing demos and all that and working through them. And he came over for the, the actual drum tracking and vocals with Mark. So I did my my drum tracks and I think I cut them in three days. And then he started in on vocals with Mark. Wolf started working through guitars and then the shutdown happened and he was on a plane back home to England. And from there, then we had to do anything else remotely. So I think there were three or four other tunes that we'd already cut drums on, but they had rearranged the song structure itself. So I got that back, re-recorded it, and then everything else was remotely. But with technology these days, there's actually technology within some of these recording platforms where you can open a window with a camera and there's your producer right there. You know, so some of these these overdubs or punch-ins or any of that stuff, he's in England on his computer in his studio controlling the computer at Wolf Studio while they do guitars. Yeah. Uh, Like, that's insane. It's amazing. We did did drums at my place, you know, the full live kit and everything. And then they took that all over to Wolf's and started working and building upon it there and just came out killer. And Andy's great. Like I said, he's a lot of fun to work with. He gets those performances out of you, but he also doesn't make you hate him in the process, (laughs) which some... Producers are kind of known for they poke the bear a little bit too much or they push it a bit too hard. And it's like, okay, well, you got a great result out of it, but at what cost? Whereas working with Andy is an absolute joy because you're getting the job done, but you're also just hanging out with your buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Tour support, it seems different in Europe right now. Like there's Inglorious has got dates in April. Who knows when you're going to tour in the US? Yeah. Would you go over and tour Europe for the summer? Is that doable? Do you got dates already?
5: I mean, I'd love to. We have dates from last year that they just keep getting pushed back. So I'm, I'm not really sure what's happening. I know we have stuff on the books and at this point, it's kind of like everybody else is just kind of a waiting game. Like we're all so ready to just get out and play. I know Wolf, Wolf will be back in Nashville. I think in a couple of weeks, like the end of February, something like that. And those of us that live in Nashville in the band have already talked about, let's just get together and play just for the sake of playing, you know, whether these shows go through or not, let's just play because we miss it. I've been very fortunate to be able to record remotely for my house for sessions. And then, you know, as, as things kind of lifted, been able to go into some studios doing the mask and everything and record sessions that way. And, go downtown in Nashville and do some gigs here and there. So that's been cool. But I know a lot of people haven't been that fortunate and everybody's ready to get back to work. Yeah. You know, we all with the artist mentality, I I can safely say we all have our, our good days. And then the bad days are just really bad because you start questioning things and just the same as everybody else. You know, you start going down that rabbit hole of, well, what if, and, is this ever going to happen? And of course it will. You just have to give it time and, and let the scientific powers that be do their job. And hopefully before too long, we'll all be back to it. You know, yeah. the way these vaccines are rolling out now, hopefully by fall, things will start slowly getting back to normal. But at this point, you know, it's just a waiting game. So we'll see, but I can safely say all the bands cannot
3: wait to get back out there and play for, all of you we
5: need it just as bad as you do so yeah
3: so this song overnight sensation is there anything uh you can tell us in particular about that song
5: yeah well i mean the the lyrics if you if you look at them and read them are pretty self-explanatory it's it's more or less a commentary on the way the world works now in terms of social media and all the internet platforms which can be great can be very helpful but can also make someone that has no business being in a spotlight famous for doing something stupid. Yeah. So there's that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's I think the world has become oversaturated with stuff that just doesn't need to be out there, but we've also been able to discover plenty of things that would have been overlooked and plenty of talents too. So bit of commentary on that.
3: Yeah. Now I selected this song because for me personally, I came into Accept as an Accept fan somewhere around Balls to the Wall and Restless and Wild, right in Mm -hmm. and around there. So Restless and Wild, Balls to the Wall, and Metal Heart, those are my three records. Those are the ones that I love, that I grew up on. And Overnight Sensation has a little bit of that feel to it, to me. It feels like sort of that period, that groove, that riff. That's what I gravitated towards. I'm not much of a lyric person. I don't always listen to lyrics uh, the first few times. What I gravitate towards is the guitar riff. I just, I love a good guitar riff. I love a good bass and drum groove, you know, that I can sink my teeth into. And Overnight Sensation has that for me. And there's a lot on this record that has that for me. Uh, So I've been enjoying this new record. I look to spend more time with it. But yeah, good job. Well done. Thank you.
5: Yeah. Andy, I don't know if I should say it's his favorite band, but I can definitely say, you know, one of his favorite bands and early influences was Accept. So when he comes in to work, it's not just I'm the producer. Let me look at what you got. He does have that other thing there. That's very cool. And, you know, for those of you who may not know, he's also one of the live guitar players with Judas Priest. So. He's also a big Judas Priest fan and he's kind of the guy that he and Richie, you know, are the guys that come in and go, hey, the band hasn't played this song in 20 some odd years. Let's just do it. Let's change up this leg of the tour. If you look at their last tour for Firepower, you know, every leg of the tour had a different set list, you know, where, okay, you're getting the hits, but those are at the very end of the set. We're doing all these deep cut Fan B sides, you know, which I think is great. So there's that outlook too. When it comes in, it's okay, cool. This song's working, or no, this song isn't working. How can we fix it? Or should we just move on? Let's get back to that accept thing. Let's get back to what accept does best. Let's do that. And that's an absolute pleasure, you know, because some producers can come in and Won't name any names or anything, but some can just come in and go, okay, that's cool. Well, but this is how I work. So this is what we're going to do as opposed to this is what the band does and let's explore this and let's expound upon this and let's build this and make this something true to you. As opposed to I'm the producer and I'm just going to make the record that I want to hear you play. And Andy's great. He comes in and like I said, it's just, all right, let's make accept, accept. And keep the ball going and kick some ass and make the best record possible.
3: Yeah, I can appreciate that. I mean, the band is, uh, when you grow up on a band, you love them for a particular reason. So I understand being an artist and all that stuff, but I don't necessarily want you to change what I fell in love with. I fell in love with it for a reason. I don't need Van Halen or Accept to be you 2 or... You know, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, exactly. That's not what I need. I need I need them to be who they are. And so yeah. uh, that's why I appreciate it. But the latest album from Except Too Mean to Die, go out there and support it. And hopefully, well, not hopefully, but eventually they'll get out there and play it live and support it. Uh, and when that's going to be, none of us know. So we'll figure it out.
5: Uh, I can say it's it's been very well received here in the States, which is good for me being a u.s guy it's like all right cool the states loves it let's tour the states and do a proper tour let's go come on it's been a while
3: yeah i would love to see that because it's been long time since i've seen it yeah. except live. so uh, i would love to see that all right so let's move on to the topic at hand van halen's fourth album fair warning Released in April of 1981, recorded early March and early April of 81 at, where else, Sunset Sound in Los Angeles. The length of the record is a whopping 31 minutes and 11 seconds. The label remains Warner Brothers, and of course, the producer remains Ted Templeman. This album sold 2 million records in the U.S., and according to sources, it cost roughly 40k to make this record and they recorded it in 12 days wow it's a monster
5: <laughs> it's
3: a it's a <laughs> damn
5: monster absolutely
3: yeah so they don't they don't do things like that anymore as we get into this record we'll learn a few things eddie considered quitting the band right before this album was recorded Alex convinced him to stay. He was angry and thought Ted Templeman was holding him back as a player. His tensions with David Lee Roth grew during this time as well. This was sort of a turning point for the band. This is when Ed wanted to get his own studio. So this is kind of planting the seeds for 5150, if you will. Rolling Stone album guide, however, gave this album two and a half stars out of five stating yeah go figure rolling stone it's rolling stone go figure i can tell you what songs they heard i'll tell you later stating (laughs) that the most significant musical development is the synthesizer introduced at the end of the album fair warning oh my god (laughs) anyway so that go figure with rolling stone Let's talk a little bit about the album cover. The album cover artwork features a detail from The Maze, a painting by Canadian artist William Kurelek, which depicts his tortured youth. This guy, I had no idea. I read into this artist a little bit when I was doing research, and this guy was really messed up in the head. He had a lot of issues that he was dealing with. I guess like any troubled artist, right? So to speak. Pretty much.
5: (laughs) Everybody has their demons, artist or not, but especially the artists.
3: Yeah. So this album cover artwork is accompanied by an insert of a black and white portrait of the members of the band. In addition to another black and white photo of an exterior wall featured cracked windows and a lyric from the album's opening song, Mean Street, in handwritten graffiti. This second photo was taken by famed rock photographer Neil Zollauer.
5: Zlozauer. Zlozauer. Or as, as the, the music world just calls him, Zlows. Zlows. Neil Zlozauer. Anybody not familiar with, with Neil Zlozauer's work, Google, he has a fantastic documentary about him and everything. He's done. It's great.
3: Yeah, yeah, he's been around. He and guys like him and Mark Weiss and some of those famed rock photographers. I mean, they took all the photos. Mick Rock. and yep. yeah. yeah. Neil's like one of the guys.
5: He has a handful of coffee table books actually out there mm-hmm. focusing on different bands that he's shot. His Van Halen book is incredible. Yeah. And it has the backstories behind the different shoots and tours. And it's just fantastic. This black and white photo, it's hard to believe that's one picture. It
4: feels like four pictures transposed. It feels like a composite. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard to believe that's
5: one picture. Now, my question is, with the front cover, so that being a depiction of the artist's troubled youth, which guy is he in the fight scene? Is he the one? Pointing out the fight. Is he the one doing the fight or is he the one on the ground getting his ass pummeled? I think, I think the <laughs> latter, I I think, I think it's he's the, the guy thing. hitting he's his like, head on the wall yeah. on the, the wall. He's the guy hitting the head on the wall. That album covers <laughs> brutal.
3: Well, and they, they cropped the actual photo and the guy that was in charge of this is Pete Angeles, who was at the time, the band's lighting director. Now he went on to be a big time music manager and manage the black crows. But he was in charge of the artwork for this and putting it all together. They cropped it out. And a lot of people talk about the individual photos sort of being tied to some of the song titles on this record. Hmm. So if you look closely at the album cover, you can kind of see One Foot Out the Door. You can kind of see Mean Street." Mm-hmm. it's probably all on how you look at it. Where's dirty movies? I want to see dirty movies. That's, Where's dirty? Movies?
5: That's inside the theater. The guy's banging his head against the wall outside because they wouldn't sell him the ticket. He's underage.
4: Well,
3: and the guy banging his head on the outside of the wall, that could also be push guns to shove. Couldn't it? Oh, I thought that was Sunday afternoon. I thought that was, I thought that was to so this is love. <laughs> so it's all on how you look at the artwork, I guess. Right yeah yeah really
5: chafe your willy
4: (laughs) now it's interesting you said al convinced him to stay i could have swore
3: gene simmons supposedly convinced
4: him to stay
3: (laughs) i'm just telling you what i read it seems like it would be more a brother thing that would be more a brother conversation but who knows it was either dave or michael was saying you know when
5: when gene was doing the demos and all that stuff and courting him you know he would have them out to shows like. The forum, Kiss Alive Two era, and all that, and uh, yeah, absolutely. Bring the bring the band, uh-huh. bring everyone. Yes, come to the show. Bring the band, <laughs> and they'd show up, and there'd just be two tickets for the brothers.
3: Yeah, I <laughs> I read that as well. I heard that they left David Lee Roth off the guest list a couple times. Well, they didn't need him. Yeah, you know, you had Peter and Ace acting up, and you know, hey, you might, yeah, might you want a job? Huh. huh? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think well, I think that uh, uh, we can all agree that that would not have worked. That would have been no. a weird combination. Yeah,
5: even just listening to those demos. I, ha- I have one of the vaults, and just listening to those demos that they did, it's cool, but it's a totally different band. Yeah, oh yeah. But the the fact that Gene made Ace recut Eddie solo, and Ace put a tiny bit of his his thing on it in some of the notes, but for Christine Sixteen, but it's like man that's awesome, but that never would have worked. Yeah. And Ace hated it. The fact that he had to play somebody else's solo.
3: Yeah. Now, if you believe a lot of the hype behind this record, especially in Noel Monk's book, he talks about how big of a failure this record was. And they literally had to do a whole bunch of payola and shipping of records just to get it to platinum and to get it to hit the charts because it was a major, major failure. And at this point in time, Warner Brothers and the band's management, they didn't want Van Halen to be perceived as a failing band because they were still selling out shows. They were still Mm -hmm. selling concert tickets by the boatload. So they were on their way up. But if you look At their album sales, starting with the first one and moving through, each album sold, even though it went platinum, sold a little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less after that first album. And this record conceivably was going to be the first record that never went platinum, which they really didn't want at such a crucial time in the band's career, you know?
5: Well, I mean, if you look at the track listing, you know, I'm looking at it right now. The only one that I can safely say that you hear regularly
3: on radio, even still to this day, is Unchained. It was the only single they released from this record, if I'm not mistaken. They released one single, and it was Unchained. And as much as I love that song, I mean, I don't view that song as a hit single. I don't think anybody really does. But the video was badass (laughs) from Oakland College. Yeah, from Oakland, right? (laughs) And the gong and everything. That was great. Of course. I mean, that's capturing the band where they're best, which is on stage, and they were selling tickets. So we should get into this track by track. Sonny, you ready to take it away?
4: Yeah, so let's start with Mean Street. It just, I like the muscle riff. I, I like the song, don't get me wrong. It's just kind of a downer, right? That like, I just wish the pace was a little bit faster and just even the lyrical topic is a little bit of a downer. Now that Oakland 81, or if you see other YouTube video, man, the song's a little bit faster. It's a little peppier and you don't really kind of get the downer feel. But Chris, the first time you heard this, was it? Uh, that's kind of a downer, but it's a good song.
5: Not really. <laughs> For me, once it kicks in, it's like that riff grabbed me and the swing and everything. It's boogie woogie. It's like, oh, damn, here we go. All right. Yeah. The tapping and everything at the top was cool, but was a bit strange for me going, you know, oh, wait, is it? Oh, Oh, okay. Cool. All right. Oh, there's the riff. There it is. Yeah. (laughs) Now we're home.
4: Had you already decided that you were playing drums the rest of your life at this point, and you still mess around with the guitar a little bit?
5: Oh no, I was full on drummer by this okay. point. You know, I mentioned those those cassettes earlier. I got into this. I was already playing drums by then, and by the time I actually sat down with the fair warning record, it was years and years after playing drums, yeah, so it was Al was already one of my guys. Yeah. But the screwed up thing is when I get interviewed, it's sacrilegious, you know, it's, it's, excuse me, Ma, it's a sin or whatever. I always say it's like, who are your top guys? And it's I name like my top three or four. And then it's like, shit, I didn't mention Al. Because <laughs> Al's one of my dudes. Yeah. Like the swing and the boogie and all that. It, yeah. it, a lot of it comes from him, you know?
4: Yeah. Steven, we've talked about it before. Starting with a pace song like this. I don't know if that flies today right? Like you have to have it a little faster today.
3: So I've made that comment on their previous albums. We've talked about those lead off tracks, this record and this song for me. Yes. It's not balls to the wall in your face, heavy and fast, but this song works as an album kickoff for me. I remember spending the summer at this friend of mine's house and he had this album And he would drop the needle on this record and hearing that tapping technique and then hearing Eddie's guitar tone in that first riff, that guitar tone is so thick and meaty and nasty. It sounds fantastic, man. I absolutely love this song. This song is an old song called Voodoo Queen that they reworked and it's just, it works. I love everything about this song. And yes, this song is basically making the announcement to the world. Hey, the party band that you've known, maybe we're a little bit darker. Maybe we're a little bit heavier than what you were expecting on this album. But we're also sort of pissed off right now. Mm-hmm. At least Eddie was. And so uh, it comes through on this song. And I I dig it. It comes through on the whole record. I mean, it's... yeah." Without
5: being puns, you know, the song and the guitar and the energy is just fucking mean. I don't know. Can I swear? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's just the attitude is just balls out. There it is. You know, here we are. And I know you said you're not much of a lyrics guy, Stephen, but when you dive into what Dave's saying, like, it's a pissed off song. And this is the reality. And for me, I look at it going all right, welcome to the music business, kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what you thought was going to be all glitz and glam and all that, guess what? It ain't. And then you follow it up with the next song, you know, track two, which again, oh yeah, she was supposed to be all this and glitz and glam and so promising. And then the business totally just destroyed it. Yeah. It's a dark record, but it's so good.
4: So talking about boners, right? We go to dirty movies nets, And just like Christopher said, right? There's this, like, this isn't exactly what you would call a peppy song either. I'm wondering, like, is Michael sitting in the corner going, guys, aren't we supposed to be a party band?
5: Like, what the hell happened to you guys? Michael's sitting in the corner with Pee Wee Herman. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, you remember when that chick was prom queen? Oh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah.
2: This yourself. so
5: so good the riff everything about it the harmonies al's drumming on this with all the the various cymbal chokes and accentuated points everything about this song is great i love 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 dirty movies the boogie the swing the feel everything yeah. it's so good all right so
4: this movie theater feel thing that dave's doing in the middle we've talked about it before only dave can sell that right
3: this is the opportunity for Dave to insert his persona into this record, because we've already talked about this record being dark. Where's Dave going to get his persona heard? So this is the first opportunity. I mean, I like this song with the drums at the beginning and kind of the uh, lush guitar opening thing at the beginning. I dig this tune and it's got a great course. So another one for me that uh, it's just a one-two punch that really works for me. Yeah. So the next song, Sinner Swing. All right. Now we're getting a bit peppier, right?
4: Love the chorus. I want to get you guys' thoughts on a couple of things. One, this feels like what sets off the Sunset Strip, right? This is this kind of kitschy, dirty, kind of sleazy feel of the song. And it's a little more upbeat, kind of feels like the start of the Sunset trip. So I want to get your thoughts on that. And then second, this whole elite with my fingers want my iron in that fire isn't that just a cooler way of saying log in your fireplace like the same thing right
5: well you know it's a precursor and it's <laughs> definitely it's definitely a better lyric <laughs> <laughs> and now i waste time anti- again i mean i keep coming back to the thing and van halen fans know it and recognize it al and eddie just boogie there's, there's no way around it. I'm so glad Dave talked them out of being the next Black Sabbath. <laughs> I'm so glad that didn't happen. Center Swing, it moves. It's that classic, upbeat, bouncy Van Halen. Dave gets to do Dave, gets to be him and do his shtick and everything. There's a hint of that weird offbeat stuff you know, that you can refer back to songs like Loss of Control, where it's like, wait, what was that? Okay. Now there's, there's the pulse, you know, but it's all over the place yet it's organized chaos. You know, you get to those bits. I love it.
4: Stephen, your thoughts on Sling? As a young kid. Long time ago. Long, long, long time ago.
3: <laughs> she looked so fucking good, so sexy and so frail. Hell yes. That's awesome, man. And again, I'll keep coming back to it. Eddie's guitar tone on this album is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So, so
5: good. Just to bounce off of what you were just saying, Stephen. you know, an hour wasting time. Same old pickup
3: line. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, it's just <laughs> great stuff. I mean, it's awesome stuff, especially when you're young and you're growing up, man. Yeah. I didn't. There weren't a whole lot of f bombs on albums back then, and so you mm-hmm. got you got Dave. You know, unless you're listening to a Richard Pryor comedy record or something, but you got <laughs> you got Dave and his swagger and Eddie and this just this killer rock band. And now he's cussing and dropping f bombs, and it's just it's awesome. <laughs>
4: For all the listeners that are under 40, Richard Pryor was a comic back in the <laughs> 70s. And Stephen's really old, so he can't pick any new comedian like Sebastian Maniscalco or anything. He has to go back to Richard
6: Pryor. But in the jungle, if you see a rabbit, you get nervous. Because <laughs> the rabbit be looking at you at i like... Roll the window up, dear. <laughs> it's just a rabbit. Fuck you. There ain't no rabbit ever looked at me like that. And you see a lion in the jungle, that's what they look like. Lions. Motherfucker be in the bush, dummy. Yeah, get your ass out the car. <laughs> and bring that camera with you. Cause we're gonna eat all that shit. <laughs> I saw three lions chase down like a, a a cape buffalo. That's the baddest motherfucker on four legs except for these bitches chasing it. And the lioness, they work work around like in teams, give signals. You know they can't talk. And the buffalo saw one of them, right? And he tipped away from the rest of the herd. And them two others jumped on its ass. And the other buffalo said, motherfucker didn't warn us, fucking.
3: Richard Pryor's (laughs) awesome.
5: (laughs) Paul Mooney, who wrote for Richard Pryor, (laughs) For the younger audience, also wrote a lot for Dave Chappelle on Chappelle Show. Maybe that's a little more relevant for your age group. I don't know. But Richard Pryor was the fucking man, if you don't know.
4: That's right. All right. So the next song, hear about it later. You got to love a song that has to do it. Look, this is what I do. I want to hear it kind of thing. You don't like it. You can go right now. You know, we talk about every once in a while songs in the Dave era that could have worked in the Sammy era. And this feels like one of those songs that probably could have worked in the Sammy era. But I gotta tell you, like the chorus is kinda meh though. Like I wish the chorus was better. So, Christopher, what do you think?
5: Uh pre chorus. The chorus itself, I think it's straight ahead, full out. The pre-chorus, you can try me at home. <laughs> if it feels all right, I'm right home. <laughs> Like that's where it picks up is at the very end, but I can I can kinda understand what you're saying there, but the chorus itself, hell no. It's great. It's it's a wide open Van Halen party song. That's great. That's cool. You got your opinion and everything, but I don't want to hear about it later. I don't care.
3: <laughs> I'm, doing,
5: I'm doing whatever the hell I want, and that's how this is going to go down, you know, and I don't want to hear about it later.
3: You worry about you, and I'll do my thing. We're going to have fun. Steven, your thoughts on hear about it later? Love it. The freaking flange effect that Eddie uses on his guitar at the beginning of this song is chill bump worthy or chicken skin worthy, which Sonny doesn't know, but... I don't know what Chill Bump is. Oh, my God. It's Goosebumps. 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 Yeah. Goosebumps, Chill Bumps, Chicken Skin. It's all the same.
5: Chill Bumps is another thing.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So I love the the flange effect at the beginning. I like the whole thing. I like the pre-course and the course. I think it's just a kick-ass song. To me, the four songs on side one are absolutely awesome to me. It's a perfect start to this record. And this is why I love it. so. And the
5: ending of the song, they used live on three or four different tunes. What? They, they reused that on 1984. Yeah, they did. Uh, Girl Gone Bad. Yeah, they reused it, and they used it on live endings of multiple other songs too so check that one's (laughs) points all right next song unchained i'll tell you to me
4: one of the best riffs ever like if you don't like this song just stop listening to van halen i don't understand why anybody would not like that song i'm not sure why anybody would like something in a size five dress like pretty much anything in a size five dress except for well steven's not gonna fit in a size five dress but pretty much anything in a size five dress seems interesting to me the lyrics are absolute gold on this song for me. Chris, for your thoughts on Unchained?
5: The song again, Killer, the riff, the energy, the drumming. The funny thing about the lyrics, as a kid, when I first heard this, there were classic misheard lyrics, you know? Blue-eyed murder in a side swipe dress. So I'm thinking, okay, like it's a slit dress with a leg hanging out the side. Yeah. But instead of nonstop talker, I heard nonstop tacos. <laughs> non stop tacos, what a rocket. I'm like, fuck yeah, tacos. Let's do that. <laughs> Ay, caramba. Hey,
0: stop, stop, hey, stop. Introducing new hot and spicy wild cholumas.
7: Ay, 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 New hot, spicy, wild chalupas. Just 99 cents for a limited time. It's wild. Only
5: at Taco Bell. They're from Pasadena, man. They know what's up. Yep. <laughs> Wow. I, I don't
4: know. Uh, Steven, did you hear tacos in that? I didn't hear tacos in that. No,
3: nah, I can't say
4: I heard tacos You got
3: to remember, I was
5: probably like seven years old the first time, or six <laughs> and, or seven years old the first time I remember hearing this song. So And hungry, apparently. Dude, I'm a Mexican <laughs> fiend. I'm a Mexican food fiend. Yeah. This is not some revelation because of the recent years of the taco, street taco. No, nah, dude. this <laughs> goes go way back.
2: Some leg tonight for sure. Tell us how you do. Woo-hoo-hoo. Come on, James. break. Hey, 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 one break. Coming up. Change. change. Nothing stays the same. Unchained.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steven, <laughs> your thoughts on Unchained? Probably one of the best overall rock riffs in history. I absolutely love that riff. You know, they talk about detuning. Van Halen didn't do a whole lot of detune. They detuned, I think, for Dirty Movies and they detuned for Unchained. And I'm not there yet on the book, but right now I'm going through the Ted Templeman biography. And my understanding is that on this particular song, Ted and Eddie had a big blow up. On how his guitar was being recorded or the riff that he was playing. And Eddie wanted to do it one way, Ted wanted to do it another way. And this is the song where I think Eddie came back into the studio, re recorded something without Ted, and nobody ever knew, you know, basically. So I'm interested in getting more into this as I go into that book, but that's what I know right now at the time of this recording. So. That has been known to happen in the studio. Yeah.
5: Wait <laughs> till somebody's out the room and then and
3: then redo it the way you want. Yeah. And they come back,
5: man. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah,
3: I thought so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they said he was They said Eddie was coming back in the studio with Don Landy at four o'clock in the morning and changing things around and just you know he and Ted were button heads uh, on this record a bit. So, but yeah, Unchained, absolute classic. Love it.
5: The banter in the middle, too. I mean, I remember even as a kid, just going, "Oh, it's so cheeseball, but it's perfect."
3: Yeah, because oh, Dave can oh, pull it on. on. Dave, give me a break. Well, hey, one break coming up. Like it's brilliant. I thought for the longest time that was uh, Al saying that. Come on, Dave, give me a break. But it's apparently it's Ted Templeman saying that. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting.
4: You know, the cracks are starting to show album four. We know bands. Rat was doing the whole come to the studio, record something else from album one. <laughs> like they yeah. never got along. So, no.
5: Yeah. Well, and the, the thing with Rat was, you know, the first two records were the, a huge success, and the record company goes, okay, great. Well, we're going to rewrite the same record with the same producer. And then eventually they tried a different producer and it took them a year and they didn't get anywhere. And so the label stepped in and said, this is costing us too much money. We're going to make the same record again, which just further added to tensions.
4: Yeah, yeah. So, okay, next, push comes to shove. So I honestly don't listen to this record much. I just don't, right? I listen to Unchained a lot. I hear Mean Street every once in a while. Sinner Swing, I have on a playlist somewhere. I had not heard Push comes to shove in a while. I will tell you, it's probably, and I I don't really love Dave's voice. It's probably one of Dave's best vocals. You take the guitar solo out of this, it could be an R and B hit like this. I was very surprised. I'm getting goosebumps telling you this right now. When I was hearing it, whatever, yeah. When I was hearing (laughs) it the other day, I was like, wow. I don't remember this song being so good. And I think you know, it just kind of gets in the back of your head when you think a singer's ex person. You can't sometimes get over that. And this was a nice surprise that ended up back into my, I guess, playlist, if nothing else. But my guess is, Christopher, you've
5: always loved Push Comes to Show. It's a great song. I agree with Dave's performance. It's fantastic. You know, and especially, you know, will you ever be the same? The one that got away. All that. The solo is great. The breakdown. Boom, 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 boom. boom, it's so funky. It's so good. It also gives you a nice breath, you know, with records, especially with live shows. It's all about pacing, it's the, the ebbs and flows and the, the ups and downs and everything. You know, come out of the gate, hit them between the teeth, and then give them a little bit of a breather and then come back out and perfect setup, you know, as they continue with the rest of the record. Yeah, great right song.
4: Steven, I know you're a Motown fan. This probably hit checked off all the boxes for you, right?
3: Well, it would have if I was looking to listen to a Motown record, but I'm not. I'm listening to a Van Halen record. And so push comes to shove. First of all, I agree with you on Dave's performance. Fantastic performance. I think it's probably one of Eddie's most underrated solos. It's a fantastic guitar solo on this record. But for me, it's a song I can you know, sort of skip over. Remember, I've just been fed Mean Street, Dirty Movie, Center Swing, Hear About It Later, and Unchained. So coming from Unchained to this song is somewhat of a fall-off for me. And I don't know what it is about this song because I listened to the two songs side-by-side to see whether they were really that similar and they're not. But for whatever reason, this song reminds me a little bit of Ladies' Night in Buffalo off of Dave's solo first solo record it's the pace probably it's the, just the pace mm-hmm. so it's just it's kind of got that um bluesy hey you know crooner kind of thing yeah. going on yeah. so you know that's the uh, my only comment on push comes to shove yeah
4: all right so this is where my brain gets in the way because this next tune so this is love right so kind of reading the lyrics as i'm listening and I'm like, the verses kind of sound optimistic about love, but then the chorus kind of makes it sound like, really? So this is love? And then there's a question mark. So is it supposed to be like the yin and yang of both sides of love? Like, I'm not too sure. I don't know. Maybe I'm giving Dave too much credit. Maybe I'm not giving him enough credit. I like the song, and I almost like that I'm not sure what the song's about. So, Christopher, what's your thoughts about So This Is Love?
5: I would say, I mean, the way I've always heard it is that it's like you said, it's it's the both sides of it. It's, oh, wait so this is love oh wait but it easily could be interpreted as the shitty side of oh wait so this is love too yeah Oh wait no um again for me the bounce the feel the bass line it's for me van halen is a lot of the feeling there's obviously the lyrics and the Dave and and the attitude and all that comes into it and the tones and everything. It's it's this all encompassing being. But as a drummer and as a musician, it's that bounce and that energy. And when they hit that chorus and it's the stacked vocals, ah, oh, you know. And Dave's vocal performance. Another one that stands out on this record is this one. Once he gets into it, man, and especially the outro, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Woo, woo and he's doing the scat and everything. It's it's just fantastic. It's fanta I mean it you know, sorry, I'm biased because of what the record is, you know, yeah. in my heart, my lineup, but it's just great.
2: That smiling and I have
4: Steven, I think this is the song that they were trying to pimp on radio with the Paola because it actually almost hit the Hot 100. So this must have been the song that they were kind of selling as a pseudo second single.
3: Yeah, this was one of the three songs they shot in Oakland, right? It was Unchained, so this is Love and Hear About It Later, I think, were the mm-hmm. three songs they shot. If I'm saying it, I think this is the closest thing that they have to an actual single on this record. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing not to like about this song. It's upbeat. It's uh, fun, you know? Yeah, I like it.
4: So this is where you guys might hang up. This Sunday <laughs> afternoon in the park, like I just don't get it. I, I'm just like, whatever, dude. Like, sell the piece to like Wrath of Khan's about to sell, E.T.'s about to sell, Tron is about to come out. Like, just sell the song to one of the movies and leave it off the damn record. Like, I, I just I don't understand stuff like this. I like, guess it, is this Eddie showing off? Is there somebody forcing Eddie to do this? Like, I don't understand. Christopher, help me understand.
5: I mean, if you think about it. The overall lineage of Van Halen, especially during the, I guess, what, by the time you get to, was it Van Halen 2 that had the first synthesizer piece? Uh, Three.
3: Three. Three. Yeah. Women and children.
5: Women and children. So, I mean, there was that whole era of, from women and children until, what, OU-812, maybe, where he had a synthesizer piece on every record, you know, whether it was 1984 or, you know, case in point sunny afternoon in the park i mean eddie and al obviously grew up with the piano in the house and with their father and that's a big part of their background and eddie's always been around pianos and everything and he's also a was a technical nut you know the new technology the new toys more so the new toys than looking at it as technology Ooh, what does this do i think part of it was probably that and it was him just breaking out a new toy in the studio oh what does this do and then al was probably hanging out oh let's do that let's do that you know it's cool you know but i i kind of i'm on the same wavelength of all right well that's cool right (laughs) yeah you have no reason to listen to it again okay you know
4: (laughs) i don't hate it but you know this (laughs) isn't on your workout list right steven i
5: mean this isn't going to help you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, that
3: gets gets you pumped on the treadmill, doesn't it? Jesus. No. <laughs> so at a 31-minute album, I really hate to lose space to something like this. Sunday afternoon in a park, I agree with Christopher. I think it's Eddie trying out new technology. I'm not even a hundred percent sure that it's all keyboards. It may be I don't know exactly when that Kramer uh, Ripley stereo guitar came out, but Mm. he may have been tampering with some of that stuff. I heard that he wrote it for Val. That might be why they got divorced. I don't know, but it's just, it's something that's a waste of my time. Like the difference in something like Sunday afternoon in the park and cathedral is apples and oranges. Like cathedral, I think is a really nice piece it's Mm -hmm. it's a piece whereas sunday afternoon in the park sounds more like two kids messing around on a synthes on a casio you know i don't i don't know it just doesn't do anything for me and it's taken up two minutes of prime real estate on a great album so for me meh
5: (laughs) yeah it's it doesn't sound anything to do with a sunday afternoon unless all hell was raining down on you Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> for me, my favorite part of the song is the crossfade into the next one. Yeah. <laughs> All
4: right, so let's get to the last track, "One Foot Out the Door." Now, there's rumors this is recorded in one take. It sounds like it because I like the lyrics, but this album ends with a thud because I don't think this is a great song. I'm sorry, i, I it's just meh to me, Christopher. I'm assuming you don't feel that way. <laughs>
5: No, I'm I'm kind of on that same page with you. One foot out the door is another one of those songs for me that, you know, is cool. But that's like Sunday afternoon in the park. It's cool, but it doesn't really pack much heat. And I kind of like, really we we could have put something else there, but you know, I don't know. Say Levy. Yeah. <laughs> what do I What do I know? I'm not a Van Halen. <laughs>
3: Steve, you're not in Van Hillen either, so what do you think? I'm not? God damn it. (laughs) I was hoping to be. I probably won't be after this. So, Sunday afternoon in the park is at a minute 59 seconds, and One Foot Out the Door is a minute and 58 seconds long. So, my research uncovered on this particular song that they were done recording the album They were literally leaving the studio and they said, we need to put one more song on there. And this is what they did. They ran back in the studio, one take, just like you said, and they recorded One Foot Out the Door. And yeah, for me, after such a great side one and kicking off side two with Unchained, I love So This Is Love, but Sunday afternoon and One Foot Out the Door stop this album for me of being like almost a perfect album and that's where it is I don't hate one foot out the door but I don't love it either
5: Yeah, it's that moment where suddenly the record becomes background music.
4: Yeah, yeah.
5: Put it on and you're you're in it. And then, oh, what? Uh Huh? Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm sidetracked now. What? Oh, oh, the record's done. Damn. (laughs) Darn. Missed that one. So normally,
4: to wrap it up, we usually go with you know, what's your favorite two tracks? What's your least favorite two tracks? My guess is our least favorite two tracks probably gonna both. All three of us possibly the same, which for me are One Foot Out the Door and sat- Sunday Afternoon in the Park. My top two tracks are Unchained and Push Comes to Shove. Christopher, how about you?
5: Yeah, I agree on the least favorite for sure. Sunday Afternoon in the Park, One Foot Out the Door. We could have put in just one more badass tune and covered ground for both of those. But, you know, like I said, say Levy. Favorites, Dirty Movies for me is absolute favorite off this. And then. Second favorite, it's either Unchained or So This Is Love.
3: Okay. All right. Steven, how about you? Unchained and Main Street. And your least two are the same? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, Push Comes to Shove is kind of a throwaway, but I don't think it's a bad song. It's just not my wheelhouse. And I think it's a better song from the solo alone than One Foot Out the Door.
4: All right. So now this is going to... Sound a little bit like conjecture, so just kind of go with me here a little bit. Is it possible that Roth is kind of sitting back going, guitar players are starting to pop up out of the woodwork in the early 80s. that have got a sa- similar feel to Eddie now. They're not Eddie by any means. So is Roth starting to get the feeling that I can go do this with somebody else. I don't got to do this with the brothers if I don't want to. Or is it too early for that? Christopher, what's your thought on that?
5: I mean, I'm sure that the thought Easily could have been in his mind, but he's also Dave, you know, I'll definitely say by the end of the next record, that thought was at the forefront of his mind, you know, from what I understand, obviously that's this record kicking off why Eddie wanted to build what eventually became 5150, you know, his home studio, but you might have a point, you know, this could have been the, the first, Oh wait, people are starting to pick up on this thing and there are other guitar players. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I mean, Dave's the dude that essentially said, no, call the band Van Halen. You want to be a vet black Sabbath? So he takes them to see Black Sabbath and yeah. goes, look around. There's no chicks here. There's yeah. nobody dancing. Do you want to do this? <laughs> you know? And from what I understand, Sammy was kind of the same way too.
4: But the, Stephen, I mean, think about it. The priest guys are showing up. The maiden guys are showing up. White Snake starting to turn out these crazy guitar players. Hell, you get to 82, 83, 84. They're
3: all over the place. Mm-hmm. But is Roth starting to think this right now? I don't think so because if you talk to Roth, when Roth left, he had never even really intended on leaving, right? So according to him, he wanted to go make this crazy from the heat thing, which was just a side thing. But he n- never intended on leaving Van Halen. Is it true? Is it not true? I don't know. I mean, Dave's got a huge ego, but I think he was hurt when he was exited out of Van Halen. To me, anyway, that's what it seemed like. All yeah. Dave, all the time. Yeah. Yep.
5: Right here on Dave TV.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
5: <laughs> we all love him. He's our guy, but there's that side of it, too. So yeah. yeah. who knows?
3: Yeah.
4: Well, before we wrap up, you know, we like to uh, connect everything to KISS. You wanted to best, but you got the best! The hottest band in the world, KISS!
1: It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock.
4: So while Van Halen's out there doing Unchained, KISS also released an album 81. My opinion, absolute train wreck Called The Elder <laughs> Music so, from The Elder So, music from The Elder, sorry <laughs> So as an ode To Eddie Van Halen, we are going to Literally play the best song Off music from The Elder A.K.A. Dumpster Fire yep. So written by Ace Eric Carr and Bob Ezrin Here's the best song off of their Escape from the Island Nice <laughs>
3: I don't necessarily think that that's the best song on that <laughs> train wreck of a record i personally like i <laughs> i world without heroes oh world without
5: heroes man that's awful as far as actual songs for the sake of songs not talking about kiss not talking about any of that any bias but for songs being songs world without heroes is the Best damn song on that record.
3: To who? <laughs>
5: <laughs> Gene Simmons. Gene. Yeah. That song's awful. No, but no, but I'm I'm not talking about, yeah, there's better riffs. But again, you've already said you're not a lyrics guy. I'm a drummer that I'm a guitar nerd. I'm the guy that loves to see a badass drummer play, but support the song. What is the song about? I'm the drummer that plays off the lyrics. Uh, I did a session years ago. I'd been playing with this female artist for probably a year or so. And we'd been playing this song live for months and it was great. And we go into the studio and record it and it ain't happening. And the drums aren't working. And I'm like, well, what is this song about? Isn't it about like a breakup and you're powerful on the other side of it and screw you. I don't need you. And she goes, no, it's the exact opposite. The song was called healer of the heart. I'm thinking, you know, you'll never find a healer of the heart. I'll be fine. No, it was heard that would never find the healer of the heart and I go oh that's what the song's about went in nailed it the next take so lyrically you know a song like world without heroes you can look at the metaphors and the symbolism in there and everything and musically it's a great tune as far as the instrumentation and the writing it's one of my favorite gene vocals you know is it an awesome rock and roll song no is it an awesome song? <laughs> Pretty damn good. Can you get to the other side of it? Is it Van Halen? Absolutely not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm
4: thinking after they get done recording, right? Paul hears Unchained and he's like,
5: fuck. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Those two little shits. Pasadena. Damn it, Gene. You did this.
3: Here's (laughs) what I can say about World Without Heroes. World Without Heroes, it's not I'm Just a Boy. (laughs) Thank God. Yeah. (laughs) It's not Under the Rose. Yeah. Or, yeah, Mr. Blackwell. Christopher, thanks so much for joining us. Do you have anything else you want to add before we get out of here?
5: Rock and roll!
3: I don't know. uh, Here lies David St. Hubbins, and why not? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Thanks for joining us. It's been a blast. We've appreciated you coming on, talking a little Van Halen Fair Warning with us, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Steven
5: and Sonny, thank you guys so very much. Always great to speak with you.
3: We hope to get you out on the tour and see you out there on the road kicking ass with it, Seth. Absolutely. Cheers. Cheers. Sonny, you got anything to add before we get out of here? No. Thank you for listening and, uh, you know, go Van Halen. Love it. Awesome. Woo. Next up, Diver Down. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll talk to you later. See you later. Get ready to
1: shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. <laughs>